0: Look at verse 17, it says this, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In other words, Paul is saying, don't walk like this, don't walk like an unbeliever. In verses 17 through 19, Paul tells us how we shouldn't live as the Gentiles do. No longer walk as Gentiles do. That word Gentiles in Greek is actually ethne, which should be familiar to our congregation. Ethne is that word people groups or nations, Right, the pagan nations, that's what Paul is talking about. Clearly, Paul is talking about the non-Christians, the world. No longer walk as pagans do. No longer walk as the world does. Right? And Paul gives us four ways that we shouldn't walk or shouldn't live. Four ways that the unbelieving world walks. And that's going to be the four points of our sermon this morning. And the four ways are, are, are these. The unbeliever walks in futility... The unbeliever walks in darkness, the unbeliever walks in death, and the unbeliever walks calloused to God. So if you would uh, look at this first point with me, the unbeliever walks in futility. And looking at verse 17, it says again, You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. The Greek word here for minds implies a way of thinking. It's literally minds, but it implies a way of thinking. It could be translated futility in their thinking. Their thoughts are futile, in other words. The Greek word for futility means pertaining to being useless or baseless um, or being futile or lacking content. Useless, futile, empty, meaningless. It's actually this word in Greek sometimes is translated meaningly, uh, meaninglessness. Meaninglessness. So really, verse 17 could be translated, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the meaninglessness of their thinking. This word meaninglessness, it's actually used in the Old Testament, the Greek uh, translation, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, of course, and was translated in Greek, and the Septuagint was used by, actually, Jesus and the apostles a lot. It was translated, this word, 44 times it's used in the Old Testament, but 39 of the times it's used in one book in the Old Testament. Of course, that's Ecclesiastes. It's used to describe the meaninglessness of life apart from the fear of God. In fact, Ecclesiastes 1, 2 says this, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Same word as fertility, um, used in verse seventeen. In other words, without starting your thinking with the fear of God, everything is meaningless. Ecclesiastes one fourteen actually says, "I have seen all the things that are done under the sun; all of them are meaningless—a chasing after the wind." I, I mean, you think about it. If there is, if this life is all there is. In other words, if there's no afterlife, there's no God, we live, we work, we die, and that's it, then it truly is all just meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. Paul says, in fact, in 1 Corinthians 15.32, if the dead are not raised, in other words, if there is no afterlife, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Might as well just seek pleasure, for tomorrow we all die. But even pleasure, even the idea of pleasure is meaningless, right? Because pleasure is fleeting. Pleasure won't last. Pleasure won't satisfy. Ecclesiastes 2.1 says, in fact, I I said to myself, come now. I will test uh, with with pleasure. I'll test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. In verse 10, he says, I deny myself nothing, my eye desired i refused my heart no pleasure my heart took delight in all my labor and and this was the reward for all my toil yet when i surveyed all that my hands had done and what i have toiled to achieve everything was meaningless a chasing after the wind nothing was gained under the sun pleasure work it's it's all fleeting because life is a vapor. It's a vapor. It doesn't last. Ecclesiastes 2.15, Then I said to myself, The fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do, what then do I gain by being wise? In other words, he's saying, if I, if I study, if I, get, if I get educated, maybe I'll find, find satisfaction in knowledge. But I said to myself, This too is meaningless, for the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. The educated, in other words, and the uneducated have the same fate, death, and will no longer be remembered. Will not long be remembered, he says. In other words, the educated and the fool are forgotten. I mean, I know we don't like to think about these things, but... But just think about this for a second. I would be lucky if my great-grandkids, my great-grandkids, just three generations away, knew my name. So what's the point? It's all meaningless. You wake up, go to work, to wake up, go to work, to wake up, go to work, to die, to be forgotten. That's life without God. Ecclesiastes two seventeen. So I hated life, because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Listen, the unbeliever knows this to be true, too, right? It haunts man. It's why I think we spend so much time in entertainment. The average American watches four hours of television a day. That's just television. That's not movies, going out. That's not watching, um, going to sporting events. Trying to tune out the reality of death. Trying to tune out the the meaninglessness of life. Suppressing the truth that without God, without an afterlife, life is meaningless. But for the Christian, life has a purpose. Thinking has a purpose. Our minds have a purpose. Look at verse 17 again. It says this. You must no longer walk... As the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Your mind has a purpose. And the purpose of your mind is to worship God. To praise God. To glorify God. Our minds were created by God to glorify God. To comprehend God's revelation, both special and general revelation. To to look at creation, which is general revelation. God revealing himself through nature and glorifying God praise God, to say when we see the beautiful mountains that are green right now and have flowers all over them, to say that that points to something. Something bigger than just creation. Something eternal. Something that lasts. But the person who denies God, all they have is futility. All of creation, and just think about this, all of creation is just atoms. Arranged in a particular pattern, and those patterns are absolutely meaningless. Due to the fall, the unregenerate mind is unable to comprehend or accomplish, It's unable to accomplish what it was created to do, and that is to glorify God. Therefore, the unbeliever walks in futility. The unbeliever also walks in darkness. Look at verse 18. It says this, they are darkened in their understanding. Darken in the Greek word that you used for darken means unable to, to see or perceive, unable to understand. They're really blind, in other words, to the truth, darkness, and understanding. The Greek word for understanding is the process of thinking. It's really similar to the word mind in verse 17, but it's more to do with reasoning, the process of understanding. They are darkened, in other words, in their reasoning. This uh, passage that we're going through this morning has a parallel passage that's probably more well-known than the passage in Ephesians, and that's Romans. Romans one twenty one says this, For although they, that's the unbeliever, that's man, for although they knew God, right, because it's, God has written his law in their heart and it's evident in creation, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. By not acknowledging God, in other words, they became fools. Side note, this is the presuppositional argument in apologetics for the existence of God. The proof of God, in other words, is that without God, you can't prove anything at all. Without starting your thinking, without starting with God, his revelation, you are left with irrationality we know this is true and i just want you to think about this right now the, the, the culture admits that this is true we live in a postmodern culture which claims you can't prove anything at all at least anything meaningful that's that's the argument of our culture that we live in right now that there's no objective truth how could you live that way that's what's being taught at every major university across the US. We can't know anything for sure, again, at least anything that's meaningful. This is the secular postmodern philosophy of our age, self admittedly darkened in their understanding, darkened in their reasoning. We as a culture have abandoned reason and embraced absurdity. In fact, in the Enlightenment, I've talked about this uh, many times, but in the Enlightenment, we abandoned divine revelation, God revealing truth to us, his word. We, divi- we, we abandoned divine revelation and embraced reason. Man made his own autonomous reasoning the ultimate standard for truth. Reason became God. Man claimed that reason was more authoritative than any of God's revelation. And it drove our culture into post-modernity. Where we have abandoned reason and objective truth. We have abandoned reason to embrace absurdity. And I don't want to go into the philosophical undergrounds of of this. You just look. Just look. You see it everywhere. Western civilization claiming to be wise. They became fools. Our culture can't answer basic questions. What is the family? What is right? What is wrong? What is good? What is evil? What is murder? What is a human? What is truth? What is a boy? What is a girl? What is marriage? This is why in our culture a boy can call himself a girl, who is clearly a boy. This is why 50,000 people have died in the U.S. because of this virus, which is a lot. I'm not trying to say it isn't. We've shut down the whole country. We've shut down the entire world. Yet, last year alone, the U.S. killed, murdered over a half a million babies with abortion. The most innocent people. Our culture, who you hear the politicians and people say life matters, have shut down everything because they say life matters. Yet, over 60 million babies killed since 1973. There's been years where we've killed and murdered over 1.5 million babies a year. The 80s and 90s, my, my, my age group, my generation, a whole generation just gone. The governor of New York shuts down the whole state because of this virus. He had a year earlier signed into law that it's okay to abort a baby at birth. A fully developed human baby, that's Insanity governor of California says we will, we will let science dictate policy in California, yet ignores reason and silence when it comes to the unborn. Ignores biological science, common sense, when it comes to gender policy or family policy. You know, there's a crazy thing about it. We expect that from politicians, but, but people can't see it. I'm blinded to these realities, just try to reason with people, and they're blinded to the truth. They are darkened in their understanding. Verse 18. The unbeliever walks in fertility, the unbeliever walks in darkness, blind to the truth, admittedly, in our culture, and therefore the unbeliever walks in death. Verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. Man is dead. Man is born spiritually, dead apart from God. Ephesians 1, 2, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. This is who we were before we were saved. Verse 18, alienated from the life of God because of the, the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Man is spiritually dead, alienated from the life of God. Apart from God, there is no life. Alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that's, that, is, that is in them due to their hardness of heart. I hope you're seeing that this verse is actually a series of cause and effects. The unbeliever is alienated from the life of God, caused by ignorance. Right? Darkened into the reasoning, futile thinking, due to or caused by the hardness of heart. I actually think it helps to see this, this verse in reverse. So the hardness of hearts, their hardness of hearts, which is a moral issue, causes ignorance, which is a thinking issue, which causes the alienation from the life of God, which is a salvation issue. There's something interesting, and I think it's very important in this this verse. Ignorance is caused by the hardness of heart, not the other way around. In other words, a moral issue has caused ignorance. Depravity has caused ignorance. Hardness of heart has caused bad thinking. If it was the other way around, man would have an excuse. If ignorance caused the hardness of heart, then man would have an excuse because ignorance is not a moral issue. Mor- ignorance is a, a lack of information, but since ignorance is due to hardness of heart, man is without excuse because it's a willful ignorance. Let me just read Romans 1.18. Again, the parallel text. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's active suppressing. It's, it's this word, we've talked about this before, it's like pushing a basketball or a ball underwater and the ball wants to come up. The truth wants to come out and it slips and hits you in the face. And you grab the ball and push it down again. You grab the truth and push it down again. It's not that the truth isn't obvious. It's that man doesn't like the truth. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them. That's man. Because God has shown it to them. The truth is obvious. Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. In other words, creation screams there is a God, and he's big, and he's holy, and we are not in right standing with him. Not ignorance because of lack of evidence. It's ignorance because of a hardened heart. Man takes the evidence and suppresses it in his unrighteousness, in his hardness of heart. Verse 21 says, For although they knew God, this is man, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile. There's that word, meaningless. in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. It starts with depravity. Depravity influenced man's thinking. It's a heart issue. It's why education isn't the answer. And again, this enlightenment idea that, that people thought in the enlightenment, if we just could educate people, if we can get them educated, they'll become moral. And that thought was completely shattered with World War I and World War II. Educated nations doing horrific things man doesn't need to be educated man needs a new heart and that's why the only thing we can offer unbelievers is the gospel Romans 1 for I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes listen discipleship discipleship and even teaching right can only happen after a heart change after salvation then we only can evangelize as Christians. The unbeliever is alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. In other words, the hardness of heart causes ignorance, which causes alienation from the life of God. Let me just say that again the hardness of heart causes ignorance, which causes alienation from the life of God. And I want to give you an example of this. I think it's this important that we, we I just want to see this in Scripture. If you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 21, verse 23. Matthew 21, verse 23. If you follow along in our devotions over the Holy Week, this is during the Holy Week. Actually, Zach talked about this briefly. This is the day after Jesus came in and cleared the temple. Verse 23, and it says this, And when he entered the temple, the chief priest and And the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? Again, this is the day after Jesus has cleared the temple, which, of course, was a challenge to the religious leader's authority. I just think this is the irony here needs to be pointed out. This is God, Jesus, who is God, in God's temple. And the religious leaders ask him, who gave you this authority? Verse twenty four, Jesus answered them, "I will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things." In other words, this is a, a Hebraic way of answering a question. You answer it with the question, and if you answer Jesus' question, then that will answer the original question. The original question is, "Who gave you this you this authority?" So if you answer the Jesus question then that will give you your answer. Verse 25 says this, the baptism of John. From where did it come? From heaven or from man? In other words, did John the Baptist come with the authority of God? Was he a prophet? Did he come from heaven? Or was he just a crazy man that thought he was a prophet just from man? And they, this is the religious leaders, verse 25, and they discussed it among themselves. What are they doing here? Their reasoning, their thinking, and they discussed it among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? In other words, if we say John was a prophet from God, then Jesus is going to say, why didn't you listen to him? Because John's whole ministry pointed to Jesus and we're going to look foolish. If we say he's from heaven, we're going to look foolish. That we've been fighting against God. But look at verse 26. But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. In other words, if we say John was just a crazy man, we're afraid of the crowd. We're afraid that we will be physically harmed. Because the crowd thought he was a prophet. In other words, if we say from heaven we'll look foolish, if we say from man we'll get physically harmed, what are they not interested in at all? The truth it doesn't even cross their mind Like, what's the truth in this situation so they answered him look at verse 27 so they answered Jesus we do not know listen because of their hardness of hearts they became ignorant and just said we don't know we don't know it wasn't ignorance that led them to a hard heart the truth was obvious Jesus didn't do these things in private. He did crazy miracles. Everyone witnessed them. He spoke authoritatively. It was very clear. He showed how the Old Testament pointed to him. But the religious leaders, because of their pride, because of their self-interest, because of their their self-worship, it led to ignorance. And they answered, "We, we don't know. We don't know. And their ignorance alienated them from the life of God. Look at verse 27. And he, that Jesus, said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. I won't, I'm not even going to talk with you. I can't answer your question if you're not going to use truth. Listen, if we are not interested in the truth, you cannot have a relationship with God. The unbeliever is alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to or caused by the hardness of heart therefore the unbeliever walks in death physically alive spiritually dead needing life needing a new heart the unbeliever walks in death and he also walks callous to god that's the fourth point the unbeliever walks callous to god if he would turn back to ephesians chapter 4 verse 19 Ephesians chapter 4 verse 19 which says they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity the word callous in Greek means to lose capacity to feel shame or embarrassment they no longer are embarrassed by their sins in other words insensitive unresponsive to sin moral apathy but instead They have given themselves up to sensuality. That word just means behavior completely lacking in moral restraint. Doing whatever feels good, whatever is right in their own eyes. Again, the philosophical message of today, if if it's right for you, your morals are your morals, my morals are my morals. Don't impose your morals on me. They have given themselves up. The reflective pronoun there, themselves, means they acted. They have given themselves up. But it's interesting because the parallel passage, again, Romans chapter one, verse twenty-four, says something that sounds different. It says this: "Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity." And these passages are, or these verses are, obviously very, very similar. Besides, in, in Romans twenty verse 124 says, therefore God gave them up. God is acting. He gave them up. Which leads to an interesting question. Do believers give themselves up to their their lust, their own lust and and sin, or does God give them up to their lust? The answer, of course, is yes. Both. One of God's judgment really is just letting go. Man suppresses the truth in unrighteousness telling god saying to god leave me alone and one of god's judgments is just saying okay you can have what you want romans 1 says this claiming to be wise they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal god for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things they say god we don't want you leave us alone therefore verse 24 therefore god gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves romans 1 verse 24 tells us that god leaves the sinner to endure the full consequences of their tragic decisions look at verse 19 ephesians 419 it says this they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, greedy to practice impurity. And the reason that is, is just sin never satisfies. Man always needs more. The pleasures that come with sin never satisfy. That's why pornography is so addictive. It leaves you empty. doesn't satisfy needing more. It's why alcoholism is so addictive. Drugs are so addictive. It's why we get stuck in sinful behaviors. Because sin doesn't deliver what it's promised. It's the lie of Satan in the garden. He promised life and it gave death. Sinful pleasures are fleeting. Good in the moment, but end in destruction, end in futility, end in meaninglessness. They will not satisfy, and they will end in death. Ecclesiastes 2.10, I denied myself nothing. My eye desired, I refused my heart no pleasure. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had had toiled to achieve in life, he's talking about everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Listen, without God, everything is meaningless. Endless pursuit of fulfillment that never ends, that never fulfills, that never satisfies, but, but, that is not the way you learned Christ. Ephesians four twenty. Listen, we Christians have hope. We have hope. And next week, we're going to be talking about that hope. We have hope. Right? And it's, it's, so sad that we continue to go back to the old way of life, seeking hope and and seeking satisfaction and seeking joy in things that we know won't provide. We have life. We have the glory of God that will bring ultimate joy. And we should be seeking that with all of us, all of our heart. And we'll t- be talking about that next week, living a life, putting off the old life and putting on the new life. Your identity is in Christ now. The old way of life is gone, yet it still haunts us and comes back. But I want to end with this. If you're listening right now and you're not a Christian, I just want to talk with you for a second. If you don't have a relationship with the Lord, if you're trying to drown out the meaninglessness of life with entertainment, video games, sex, pornography, drugs, or whatever, even good things, work, american dream toys i don't know nothing will satisfy and i think you know this listen only god's glory will satisfy you know why that is 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 because we were made to worship god he made man to worship him and it's only when we are doing that and finding our joy and satisfaction in his glory that we find true satisfaction and true joy only a relationship with the Lord that will satisfy your soul. But here's the problem: the Bible is clear. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God Romans three twenty three, and you are dead in your trespasses and sins Ephesians two one. You are spiritually dead under God's judgment. But here's the good news: the sinless Jesus. And God's Son, God himself, came and lived a perfect life and died on the cross for your sins, taking your punishment. And was raised on the third day, proving he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father, perfect, everlasting joy and satisfaction, the Father in his glory. No one comes to the Father except through him. John fourteen six. He is the only way to a meaningful life. To salvation. Put your faith in Christ this morning. If you're with families, that, that members that love the Lord that are, that are with you, talk with them, rejoice with them, put your faith, cry out to God in your heart, he can hear you. Put your faith in Christ this morning. With that said, I just want to tell you this, this Wednesday, we are going to be doing a live stream with the elders again. Um, Kind of covering some of the things that we talked about last time, uh, maybe a little bit more in depth. I, I know this has been a, a trying time. I, I, to be honest, Sundays are the hardest day. I just missing our church body, and I've been talking to people that've been feeling the same way. But in a lot of ways, as we've heard, um, I feel like we're more connected in some in some ways, and I, I can't even explain how that is. And and for you that 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 aren't connected, I feel like you. you you aren't connected with the church right now, I would encourage you to listen to this Wednesday's live stream. I'd encourage you to join a small group, because that's where I think most of us are filling our connection right now. Uh, Sundays definitely have been the hardest day of the week with this whole um, isolation or social distancing, and I know many are wondering when we're going to come back, and we want to talk about that Wednesday again. Uh, I would encourage you, if you have questions, you can email us at questions at countryoaks.org, and questions that come in, we will try to answer Wednesday, or we'll email you back um, the best we can to answer those questions. That's questions at countryoaks.org, and we would love for you guys to join us and and just to listen to the live stream with the elders and and what we've been discussing. Um, With that said, uh, we will pray and be done with our sermon this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, God, I thank you, Lord. I thank you that life is not meaningless. God, for so long, in my teenage years and, and, and through my 20s, Lord, I was, I was seeking satisfaction in, in everything I can find, Lord. And nothing fulfilled and led me to depression, but it ultimately led me to you. Lord, you are our joy. You made us to worship you, and we only find that satisfaction when we, when we are worshiping. That's why we love going to, to Yosemite and seeing the Pacific Ocean and, and, and looking up at the stars because it reflects the glory of God and it fulfills our soul, and that's just a reflection. That's just you talking God, help us to seek you over everything else, and we get so blinded. Even Christians, we, we fall back into our old patterns and start seeking satisfaction in things that won't satisfy. I, I'm just talking about my own heart, Lord. They enslave us. They entrap us. Help us to just, just have the realization that they will lead to death and destruction, but, but the only thing that will lead to life and satisfaction is worship of you. The chief end of man is to worship you and enjoy you forever. That last part is so important, to enjoy you. It's where joy joy comes from. God, I pray for all those that don't know you, that are listening. Even if they're not listening, I pray for them, Lord. I pray that they find true, lasting satisfaction and joy in a relationship with you through your son, through faith in him and what he did on that cross. God, we pray for that. I know it's a miracle for a heart to be changed, that, that uh, a dead heart going to a, to a live heart, a heart of flesh, a heart of stone going to a heart of flesh, death to life, is we can't do that. But you can. We are just called to preach the good news. And I pray that we are bold in that in this time as we see the reality of death, as we see the hopelessness of this life and trying to find satisfaction on this earth and the created world. that we are bold as Christians to point people to true joy, true satisfaction, true life through your son. In his name, amen.